Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, The New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestseller, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos-crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. I bring you interviews each week with guests who will inspire, motivate, and empower you. In doing this show, many people have reached out to me to tell me their story of overcoming extreme obstacles in life. Today's guest is one of those people. He will definitely get you thinking of how to make the most of each day because he learned in a split second that you never know how long you're going to get to do what you love. My guest this week is retired fire chief Matt Schobert. His life was filled with adrenaline, professional accolades, and a standard of excellence in what he did until one day he found himself in the wrong place, at the wrong time, and his life was changed forever. Let's listen as Matt tells us his journey of strength, resiliency, and recovery. Please welcome Matt Schobert. I'm here with retired fire chief Matt Schobert. Matt, thank you for being here on the show with me. It's great to be here. I'm still getting used to that word uh, retired before my title. Right. We're going to talk about the new identity that you're adopting. But first, I want to ask you to tell us what your life was like prior to July 2nd of 2014. We're going to hear all about what happened on that day, but tell us what your life was like before that. You had quite a career and some real great athletic accomplishments. Yeah, I had spent about just under 30 years in the fire service across two states with four different fire departments. I was a fire chief in Arizona, and then I I came out and was the fire chief in two cities here in California. And for the past five years, or four years leading up to my injury a year plus ago, I was the fire chief in Murrieta, California, and basically it was uh, me and my wife of 26 years uh, and our dog, Butters. Uh, we, we have no children, and both my wife and I really focused on our careers. I, the, the fire service, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't just a job. It was, it, was, um, it was my job. It was my hobby. It was my identity. It was, it was my life. And, you know, I was spending not your typical 40 or 45 hours a week. I mean, literally 40 to 60 hours a week, um, not just doing my job, but, but living, living my job. And, and my wife, she was uh, starting a consulting business in the human resource industry, and it was, it was starting to take off. So we were both professionals, if you will, with a, a dog that kind of ruled our lives as, as best he could. And um, my hobbies were pretty much rigorous exercise. I was an avid uh, runner, uh, bicyclist, and, and swimmer. 
and have done several half Ironman triathletes. And I did Ironman Arizona the Fool in uh, November of 2013. Most people can't even comprehend what that is. And you want to remind us what a full Ironman entails. We get an idea of exactly how you're living. Yeah, um, uh, minimum of 12 to 18 hours a week of training, running, biking, swimming, arduous nutritional diet. But an an Ironman is a um, 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and a 26.2-mile run. So the full Ironman is the full marathon. Yeah, full marathon and 112-mile bike ride and a a 2.4-mile swim. And those three events need to be completed in under 17 hours. And it's been my goal to, um, to do an Ironman for the past probably two decades. And I realized, you know, the older I get, the, that old adage, the older you get, the better you used to be. I, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it now right. or next year. And so it was a year-long process because you have to volunteer the year before in order to get a, a slot in next year's race. And then that gives you a year to train and, and it it literally becomes um, almost a full-time job. Like I said, um, minimum two hours a day, 14 plus hours a week, on top of a full-time job, on top of family life. Um, it, it was it was a, a crazy lifestyle, but as it would turn out, you know, a, a, few, a few six months later, um, that level of physical fitness and conditioning uh, would actually save my life. Let's talk about that. So you're here not necessarily because you've had such a great career and these athletic accomplishments. But you're here because something happened on July 2nd, 2014, that absolutely changed your life. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, and a message here um, that I think we can all gather, because we always hear it all the time, a split second, your life can change. And and I think we all think that'll never happen to us. And certainly that was never going to happen to me. Uh, But on July 2nd, in my role as fire chief for Murrieta, California, Myself and and a crew of firefighters were invited out to observe and monitor a brush clearing operation um, in the northwest corner of the city of Murrieta. I arrived there 10 minutes early, like I I usually do, and got there before my engine company. And um, the tractor mower was already doing their thing, cutting, cutting the thick brush. And I decided um, he he was actually heading off into the opposite direction, and um, I decided to take out my little Garmin weather gauge and monitor the wind speed, temperature, and and humidity, uh, just to check what fire conditions were like, um, because in California sometimes the situation with brush fires is so tenuous a, a spark can start a con- conflagration. Yes. And so in the process of, of getting my, my weather gauge out, um, I remember last thing I recall is holding it up and looking, looking at it, and then my world went blank. I don't know how long I was unconscious, um, but I, I woke up in the dirt face down, and the, the thing I remember most was my hands and my fingers were, were tingling and, and numb. And it, with my medical background, I'm thinking, shoot, did I have a, am I having a heart attack? Did I have a stroke? What in the heck is going on? 
And I remember trying to get up, and I couldn't. And at, that's when I realized when I was trying to get up that I was bleeding profusely um, from the lower part of my face. And I went to fill my jaw uh, to find out where the blood was coming from and realized that um, the bottom third of my face was missing. And um, I managed to stand up next to my vehicle, and in the reflection of the window, uh, I saw um, a horrific picture of myself missing the bottom third of my face. And with my medical training, I knew I was dying, uh, bleeding to death. And my brain engaged, and I recalled I had a spare T-shirt in the back seat of my car. So I, I recall getting in the back seat of my car, grabbing that T-shirt and stuffing it in the hole that used to be my lower uh, left mandible area. And uh, then I got in the driver's seat and I, I drove, actually drove the vehicle about a quarter mile down to the, um, the maintenance yard of the area where we were doing the brush clearing. And at that point, I had to hold my face together with one hand while I grabbed the radio with the other. And as best I could, I, I radioed our dispatch center um, for emergency medical assistance. This is Chief 6300. I think I've been shot, were my, my words, uh, because I, I didn't realize at the time that the brush clearing machine launched a, a rock about the size of a deck of cards, 180 feet, uh, and it hit me um, on the left side of my, my jaw and, and basically ripped off my jaw. Um, the next thing I recall is after calling for help, um, my firefighters eventually showing up. And I'm sure it was just moments. Uh, but I, I remember uh, the captain's eyes. I could, it, they seemed as, as big as saucers when he was still sitting in the captain's seat before he got out of the engine. And then the three or four uh, paramedics, my paramedics, um, who were naturally as, as fire chief and they're, them as captains and engineers and firefighters, there's the supervisory type relationship. But in the fire service, they're, they're also friends. And, and I knew I was in big trouble um, by the look on their faces. Uh, I mean, I knew I was dying by the amount of blood on by my shirt. By the blood. You knew enough to know that you were in dire yeah. straits. And then, then when I saw the fear in their eyes, I knew that I was really in danger. Um, but they took really good care of me. They saved my life. Um, uh, I guess I wasn't a very good patient. I, I <laughs> was told I ripped out IVs and I wouldn't be let them be, uh, strap me down. And um, but, you know, you, stuff happens. That's uh, right. <laughs> but they, they got me to the hospital and um, the level two trauma center in Murrieta, and they quickly realized uh, I needed to be uh, advanced care. So they made arrangements to stabilize me with a blood transfusion. And a few hours later, they, uh, they flew me to Loma Linda Medical Center in, in Loma Linda, where a team of expert surgeons worked for five and a half hours, um, continuing uh, to save my life. And, and over the past year and, and three or four months, I've had four major surgeries, um, putting steel plates in my, in my face, t cutting off the top of my left hip and bolting it uh, to the steel plate. And um, this coming year, I will have 
probably three or four more surgeries. Um, The good thing about my injury and the four surgeries thus far is I think the worst is behind us now, and and it, it should be easier from here on out. But I can tell you, the the physical pain of the injury itself, the surgeries, the recovery has been brutal. But um, the the mental side of this has been worse. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen, bringing you what you need to succeed. So, um, Matt, you've already started talking a little bit about the recovery process, but you have a wife also of 26 years, as you mentioned. What was it like that day for her? I'm sure she was scared out of her mind and didn't know what to think. Well, and when we talk about trauma and and, uh, post-traumatic stress associated with trauma, I think there's some forgotten patients, and and that's the family members and the spouses of the individual involved. Because um, I remember at the hospital with all these firefighters and doctors, and I don't remember one thing specific. I just remember absolute chaos because of me. But I do recall trying to hand somebody my phone, saying, you know, call call my wife Tammy and let her know. And no one wanted to touch my phone because of the amount of blood on it. But somebody eventually called Tammy and and let her know that I was in an accident. And she came to the hospital and and, um, she actually went through a period of about 36 to 48 hours where um, there was a 50% chance or greater she was going to become a widow. And and that's when the firefighters really stepped up to the plate. They gave her a ride to uh, Loma Linda Hospital, where I was being flown to. They got her a hotel. They uh, picked her family up at the airport and just rallied around us. And I, I didn't realize it for, I guess I was unconscious for 48 hours and, and not a very good patient at the hospital. The nurses wanted me to get the heck out of there because I don't remember it, but I guess I was uh, fairly demanding. Um, (laughs) But they they did let me out after just 48 hours in the hospital, which I guess is some world record. Sounds like (laughs) it. (laughs) But I'm glad they did. I I, I felt much more comfortable at home where I could just lay on the couch and process things. And so your recovery process, as you were starting to talk about before, involved a lot of surgeries. And you're here talking to us, and you look just like pictures I've seen of you before the accident. So they've done a good job. And so on the outside, you look all put back together. You were talking about post-traumatic stress. What's, what's the emotional process been like for your recovery? Um, interestingly enough, you know, people see me, and I, I think they're expecting to see I don't know what they're expecting to see, some kind of deformed monster or something. And while I do have substantial scarring on the left lower side of my face, I am pretty much intact. So I think I, I look like I fully recovered. The The tough part is mentally and emotionally, uh, I've got a little bit of work to do. I thought I had an understanding of what post-traumatic stress was before. I think everyone in the fire service has it to a certain degree, but I had no idea what PTSD, 
becomes after, you know, you suffer with acute stress for a while and it transitions into PTS and suicidal thoughts, not that I would kill myself, but certainly um, those thoughts do enter my mind. I've often wished I would have just died in the field that day because life has has been difficult. I've had nightmares and and flashbacks and and regret, um, uncontrolled anger. My social filter seems to be non-existent, impulse control. I mean, if I was actually kicked out of a Chevron not too long ago because I was complaining that their electronic card reader wasn't working. It just set you off. And it set me off like a, a crazy person. And But things are getting better, and I'm recognizing the triggers, and I have been through extensive counseling. I'm in the process of trying to get involved and, and help out and give back and get the word out that PTS in the fire service is real. I've uh, been around the fire service a long time in two different states with four different departments. And I would estimate that there's someone suffering at every fire station, at every fire department across the country. And they're suffering in silence because they're afraid to bring it up for fear of losing their job from administration or being ostracized by their crew. So yeah, so you're physically okay. I mean, you've got some residual surgeries that they're going to be doing, but you are a retired fire chief now. And is that because of the emotional stress that you've been going under? Absolutely. I'm officially retired because of the injury. And I think it has to do with the physical, mental, and emotional. I, I used to be the king of multitasking, and, and now I'm, I'm pretty much uh, one thing at a time and one thing at a time kind of slowly, especially if it involves any deep thought processes at all. Emotionally, I'm, I'm quick to sadness or quick to anger, and I, I'm just not... I never was real even killed, but now I'm even <laughs> now I'm even worse than, than I've been. And I, I don't handle pressure well. So the job and the career that you love to do, you you had to let it go. You couldn't do it anymore because uh, no, of this injury. I, I could not. I, I can barely. Um, one of the things in the household that I used to do was I'd pay the bills. I'd write the checks and I'd keep track of stuff. I, I can't do that anymore. It's, it's, um, there's just something about it that is very frustrating to me. Going to the grocery store, there's something about going to the grocery store. And I think it's a combination of three things. The fluorescent lighting does something to me. The decisions that need to be made, do we buy a five-pound bag of this or a 10-pound bag of that, that those decisions, there's just too many to be made in too short a time, and I absolutely cannot stand waiting in line. So the fluorescent lights, the multiple minor stupid little decisions that need to be made, and the waiting in line is, is a recipe for disaster for me. Yeah, so I imagine then that your wife now has more responsibilities that, that she can't share with you. Can you talk a little bit about how things have been at home? Because I think you mentioned that your wife also now is like semi-retired. Yeah, she had to give up her uh, booming consulting business to, I don't want to say take care of me because I can take care of myself. But when, when we are focused on multiple surgeries and multiple counseling experiences and life-changing events, she did need to uh, give up her career so we could both focus on my recovery. And she, I believe, suffers a little bit of post-traumatic stress as well. Like I said, she, she went through a 24, 36, 48-hour period 
where it was touch and go whether I was going to live or die or not. And, yeah. and, and so for a while, I couldn't go anywhere by myself because she would think I might not come back. And then for a while there, I couldn't go anywhere by myself because I was afraid to drive in traffic by myself. So it's, it's a gradual process improvement. And, you know, uh, I'm sitting here painting this doom and gloom picture. Things are getting better. Things are improving. Right. Um, and I know that you have told me that you're starting to decide what your new life is going to look like. You're kind of getting out of the woods of the really bad, dark emotional stuff and as you're healing tell us about what your life looks like right now as far as the things that get you energized and hopeful about the future i'm getting back into working out which is which is essential i I think especially as almost a form of post-traumatic stress prevention if you will but certainly aiding in the recovery exercise is a gotta do i mean if, if i'm sweating i'm feeling good Another component is family life is important and get a good dog. If you have a good dog, uh, they're uh, essential uh, to recovery or prevention. And also spend some time in nature, hiking at the beach. Um, those three or four things are key to either prevention or, or recovery. Matt, you're here to tell your story and not just because you want people to know what happened to you. Let's talk about why it's so important for people to know your story and how PTSD can affect someone. In my career, 29 and a half year fire service career, I could name four firefighters that I've worked with on the same fire truck that are no longer with us because they've killed themselves. And I didn't realize that until I I did this little inventory over the past several months. And I think there's also a stigma associated with PTSD. It seems to be a soldier's illness, if you will. And I think the stigma is if someone says they have PTSD, that they're maybe dangerous. I honestly feel there's a stigma about that. And my PTSD, I, I didn't really have understand what it was. Um, Probably until you had it. Yeah. And I mean, a, a loud motorcycle will drive by and... That impacts me in a a physical way. Uh, I have a physical reaction uh, to a loud motorcycle or um, any sudden loud noise, being in crowds, uh, being, like I mentioned before, being at the grocery store. And it's real and it's a, a physical reaction, rapid heartbeat, fear, anxiety. I guess one of the ways I've explained it PTSD is like being really scared, really sad, and a little angry about 80% of the time. Yeah. And wanting to tell your story is to help other people understand. I think the biggest lesson I'm going to take away from meeting you, even though I've had years of working with people with trauma, is just to always remember not to judge the book by the cover. Because no one would look at you and understand how your life had to change on that day. No, they wouldn't. And like I mentioned, uh, I've worked for four fire departments across two states, been a fire chief uh, for a total of 10 years with three different departments, master's degrees. I've been to the National Fire Academy, got my executive fire officer. I'm one of a few hundred fire chiefs in the world who've been certified as a chief fire officer designee on four different occasions. I've competed in Ironman triathlons. And I'm here to tell you, I was brought to my knees, um, not getting my jaw ripped off my face, but suffering the consequences of PTSD afterwards. It is a vicious, uh, emotional condition 
and it needs to be just as common in the fire service as a broken ankle from stepping off an engine wrong. It needs to be accepted. And it's going to be a challenge because, again, the brotherhood and the sisterhood doesn't like to acknowledge weakness, and it's not weakness. Somebody said it's from being strong too long, and the administrative folks in the city are going to be reluctant, I think, to look at PTSD because of the workers' comp potential implications. But I want to be the person that, I guess, helps put a face to it. And and if it can happen to me in a fire chief position, uh, it can happen to anyone. And one last thing as we wrap up is I know that your future plan is to compete again in Ironman. Through all this, I want people to take away also that there is another tomorrow. Don't know what it looks like, but for you, it's going to hopefully involve some athleticism and some sharing of your story to help others. Absolutely. That is my intention. And I am actually in the middle of a workshop where I'm becoming a certified Ironman coach where I'll be training athletes as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I I think that's going to be a portion of my future. And uh, again, just talking about PTS and PTS recovery, uh, it's it's not fun, but it's doable. Retired Fire Chief Matt Schobert, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and with the audience. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Launch Experts helping business owners increase their visibility and authority through podcasting. Visit podcastlaunchexperts.com for more information. Wow, that was a lot to take in. I still get chills thinking about what Matt went through. He's a shining example of strength and resiliency and adaptability. This was his first time sharing his story publicly, and I was honored to provide the vehicle for him to do so. I'll be hard-pressed to ever forget meeting him. Thank you, Matt, for sharing your story with us. You know, Matt talked a lot about his post-traumatic stress, but he's also been dealing with the repercussions of a traumatic brain injury, which we hear of all the time referred to as TBI. As with post-traumatic stress, people with TBI can look just as normal as the rest of us on the outside on any given day, but on the inside, they may be dealing with memory loss, anger flare-ups, and slow thought processes. Matt shared with me that these are all present for him and it is part of his story and his journey to recovery. For those of you who want to learn more about both post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury, we'll have some information and links in today's blog post that accompanies this episode. Matt and I talked about how frustrating it can be for him. Since he was patched back up physically, it almost surprises people to hear how he still struggles emotionally. Just remember today as you're walking through your environment, You don't know the struggles of those around you, as their outward appearance may be misleading. Well, this is the end of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast for today. Next week, we have Jeff Dill. He's now a licensed counselor, but he was also a former career fighter fighter. He has combined his passion for helping firefighters in the emotional arena with his training as a clinician and has founded the Firefighters Behavioral Health Alliance. We'll hear Jeff tell us all about how they are working towards providing firefighters a better emotional future. You can connect with me in several ways between episodes. You can say hi or let me know which episode is your favorite through Twitter. I'm at Dr. Colleen Mullen. Or on Facebook, you can reach out to me too at Coaching Through Chaos. I appreciate all the connection and the feedback from you. Okay, that's it for now. I hope you have an amazing week. 
And if you've got chaos in your life, I hope you're finding your way through it. Take care.